turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's version of the baptism of Jesus. And this is what Matthew writes. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. Almighty God, you shower upon us grace upon grace. In the coming of Jesus Christ our Lord, we are renewed in the promise that you do not leave us to ourselves. That you, in fact, stay with us and lift us and save us. By your Holy Spirit this morning, be present with us in this time as we share in your word together. Let the meditation of our hearts, let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So let me tell you something about baptism. Baptism is a beginning. If you remember nothing else about baptism, remember that. It's a beginning. It signifies that first moment when you not only realize your need of God, but also experience for the first time the grace of God. It's a beginning. It's it's an introduction of sorts. In baptism, we are introduced to who God is. We are ushered in to the life God lives. We are showered from head to toe with the grace God gives. It's a beginning. And yet, so often, we fall into the trap of thinking of baptism as something else, like a a goal that we have to reach or accomplish and then kind of set it aside. You know, we, have, we get that, we're so project-oriented. We get that into our heads. We need to, need to be baptized to get that done. We need to accomplish that so that, you know, we can move on. And we lose sight that baptism is a beginning. Speaker and Scholar Roger Nishioka tells a story about a young man in his church when he was serving at the time named Kyle. This is what he said. He says, 
Kyle and his family joined when Kyle was about in fifth grade. And when they joined, those first four years or so, they attended sporadically. I didn't really see them that much, if at all, and, you know, it just didn't seem all that important to them. And so I was somewhat surprised when I approached them right before ninth grade, which for our church was confirmation class, and to ask them if Kyle would be, want to be part of confirmation. And I was somewhat surprised when they said yes, because I just hadn't seen them and, and all of that. But they said yes, and Kyle shows up, and they show up to the orientation, and they sign the covenant, you know, that says we're going to, he's going to take this seriously, and you know, for us at that church, it meant a couple of retreats and a mission thing and weekly classes and going to be there. And, and he was. Every time. He rarely missed. In fact, he made some great friendships in that group. And in fact, Kyle was one of the ones that helped this group come together in the way that you would hope that a group like that comes together around an important piece of their life of faith as confirmation and, and they came together and Kyle was a big part of that and they just they became close friends in this journey together and at the end of it all because pa, uh, Kyle was not baptized as a baby he was baptized as part of this confirmation so it just became this huge celebration for everyone it was awesome but then, in the weeks that followed, no Kyle. Where's Kyle? What happened to Kyle? Friends started asking me, where's Kyle? What happened to Kyle? His confirmation member, I don't see Kyle. Is Kyle all right? What's happening to Kyle? What's going on with Kyle? I began to wonder, what's, where's Kyle? Now I finally found the time to go visit the family and see if everything was fine and okay and how they were doing. And I distinctly remember them being somewhat surprised to see me. The mom, in fact, I remember specifically, said to me, well, I, I thought he was done. It, isn't he done? I mean, he got baptized and everything. Isn't he done? To which Nishioka writes in his reflection, therein lies part of the problem. Through all our best intentions and all the things we say and try to communicate, so many of us still become trapped under the notion that baptism is some kind of accomplishment that we have to accomplish and then be done. The problem with that is that when you read the Gospels like Matthew, they tell us the exact opposite. If baptism is supposed to be the culminating activity of our faith, then Matthew would have put it at the very end of the story instead of at the very beginning. Mark, in fact, skips over the entire birth story, gives us a brief introduction to John the Baptist, and launches right into this big baptism of Jesus right in the very first verses. As Nishioka puts it to read, read, Matthew's, to read Matthew's version of Jesus' baptism is to know that 
Baptism comes not at the end of his ministry. It comes at the beginning of his ministry. It serves as his launching out into a whole life. And just to read the story like we did just a minute ago, regardless of the order in which it falls in the grander scheme of the God, just to read the story itself like we did a moment ago, it doesn't make you think of end times, reading it. It, it doesn't make you think of, of the last words of the Bible. In fact, if it does anything at all, it makes you think of the very first words of the Bible. And they're written eerily in a similar way. In fact, when you read this story, if your heart and mind jump back to the very first words of the Bible, the beginning of creation, then you're doing it right. That's exactly what Matthew wants you to do. When he writes about Jesus coming up out of the water and the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove and God takes a look at it all and says, I am well pleased your heart and mind are to be transported all the way back to the very beginning of all things when God created the heavens and the earth and the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters and God looked at it all and said, it is good, I am pleased, as if God automatically begins to erupt in grand applause. When you read Matthew's version of Jesus' baptism, Matthew wants you to feel like you do when you read those very first poetic words of creation. To feel like you do when you've just received something that you didn't deserve. To feel like you do when someone applauds you and you don't know why. Matthew's hope is to tug at your heart in such a way that you lean back in your seat and shout at the top of your lungs, now there goes a God who really cares. That's what he wants. But he doesn't stop there. After all, baptism isn't an accomplishment that you get finished and then are done. Matthew doesn't just want you to know and experience God's care. Matthew wants you to care. Matthew wants your life to now live a baptized life. A life that shares the kind of love that Christ shares. A life that cares with the kind of care of God. That's what Matthew wants. That's what baptism is. So I've told you something about baptism. Now let me tell you something about this church. The members of this place, you, care deeply about other people. You always have. From the very first day of the very first week of this place years ago, somehow God instilled in you a deep care 
for other people. Last week, I told you that this congregation has a passion for reaching out to others. I'll add to that list. You have a passion for lifting others up. You take your baptism seriously. You care. When someone writes a a prayer card or a prayer request off one of the cards you can find in the pews or at the exit or email or a phone call or someone says, I know of someone that has a need that's going on and they need prayers. The email goes out and scores of you, I don't even know how many of you are on this list, scores of you add that need to your daily thoughts and prayers. Immediately, what need is there gets met by the prayers of this congregation. When someone goes into the hospital or is going through a tough time, the deacons, among others, go into action. Do you need someone to be with you? We're going to bring you some meals, and we're certainly praying for you. What else do you need? What's, what's going on? We want to be there for you. You care. In fact, you care so much that you get upset when we miss someone. When someone gets missed, you know, we didn't know they were in a hospital or didn't know that they needed something. You get upset with that. I know because I get the phone call. We missed somebody. I can't believe we missed them. How did we not know? How did we not reach out to them with the kind of love that this congregation pours into the lives of people? You care. You take your baptism seriously. Two months ago, my own family experienced the care of this great church family. I've always known about it seen it, but we experienced it. Our oldest daughter had to have surgery, and and so we, we experienced what you do for so many in this church and beyond. We got emails and phone calls and texts, and people showed up to stay with us if we needed it, and meals, brought meals, and we got flowers from the Sunday morning service, and, and Ellen Dittman came to the hospital, you know, and and gave us a prayer shawl that one of you met, made, and along with the note. And I know about the ministry, but I'd never, you know, experienced that side of it. And in the note, it talked about how each stitch was prayed over so that when you put this thing on, you are literally covering yourself in the prayers of other people. You care. You take your baptism seriously. You you treat people Like people, not products. Eugene Peterson once said, don't treat other people like problems to be fixed. It's dehumanizing. You understand that. You get it. And I have a sneaking suspicion as to why you care the way you do. My suspicion is that like me, somewhere along the line in your own life, you came to an understanding and a realization. Early in my life, I am fortunate to have been given the realization that I need you. I need the church. That I not only need God, but my need of God comes in the form of the need of my need of the church. That I can't do this life on my own. I can try, I can give it a go, after all there are all kinds of messages out there that images that make us 
think that we can handle everything on our own without any help from someone else, so, so I can try. In fact, I have tried. I did try. Failed miserably. Almost didn't make it. And it was in that moment where I faced my own possible death that God convinced me that I can't do it alone. That I need you. I need the church. And I need the church to be the hand of Christ for me and to help me be the hand of Christ to someone else. That I need the church. I need the church because I'm broken and messy and life just isn't fair. I need the church. And my suspicion is that you get that. That you also understand deep down, whether you fully realize it or not, that you understand what it feels like to be broken and messy. That you understand what it means for life to not turn out the way you thought it would. You understand what it feels like to desperately need a helping hand that often comes from the person standing right in front of you. You understand that baptism is not just a goal that you accomplish and are done, but is instead a whole new way of life. To be baptized is to be called to love with the love of Christ. To be baptized is to care for others with the same heart as the heart of God, whether they deserve it or not. Because this is God's grace we're talking about. God's grace. get that. Don't stop getting it. Don't stop doing it. Don't stop being a community that cares. Amen.